Доброго вечора, ми з України. Hello, we are from Ukraine. We are Ukraine FM team, Radio National Resistance. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is our collaborator and your host, Anne Levin. You are listening Ukraine 242. Welcome to Ukraine 242. On the 24th of February, Russia began bombing Ukraine. It is a date burned into the psyche of every Ukrainian. For all of us, it was the onset of life in a changed world. In the next half hour, we will hear people in Ukraine describe this global alteration as it unfolds. I'm Anne Levine, reporting for Pacifica Network from WOMR and Krena FM. Our guest today, Dinara Habibulieva, is the president of the youth division of the European Solidarity Party. At 28 years old, Dinara occupies an office of authority in Petra Poroshenko's party. Poroshenko was Zelensky's primary rival in the last election, which Zelensky won in a landslide in 2019. Before we listen to Dinara's interview, let's take a look at Poroshenko's profile. Petro Poroshenko is a Ukrainian businessman and politician who served as the fifth president of Ukraine from 2014 to 2019. He served as Minister of Foreign Affairs from 2009 to 2010. From 2007 until 2012, he headed the Council of Ukraine's National Bank. He was elected president on the 25th of May 2014. During his presidency, Poroshenko led the country through the first phase of the war in Donbass, pushing the Russian separatist forces into the Donbass region. He began the process of integration with the European Union by signing the European Union-Ukraine Association Agreement. Poroshenko's domestic policy promoted the Ukrainian language, nationalism, inclusive capitalism, decommunization, and administrative decentralization. In 2018, Poroshenko helped create the Autocephalous Orthodox Church of Ukraine, which separated Ukrainian churches from the Moscow Patriarchate. His presidency was distilled into a three-word slogan employed by both supporters and opponents. Armenia Mova Vira, which translates into military, language, and faith. A pretty interesting slogan. It was very much the slogan of the infamous Azov Battalion and has become a slogan for all of Ukraine during the war. There was no true consensus in the expert community on why Poroshenko lost to Zelensky, with opinions ranging from opposition to intensifying nationalism, failure to stem corruption, dissatisfaction with his presidency in the overlooked Russian-speaking regions, to dissatisfaction with Poroshenko's intense conflicts with other pro-Western politicians. Poroshenko is currently being tried in Ukraine under charges of high treason. In May 
2022, he was refused entry to Lithuania for a political meeting. Poroshenko has been a prominent Ukrainian oligarch with a lucrative career in acquiring and building assets. His most recognized brands are Roshan, a large-scale confectionery company, which has earned him the nickname of Chocolate King, and his TV news channel 5 Canal, which he was forced to sell to comply with anti-oligarch legislation in November 2021. He is considered an oligarch due to the scale of his business holdings in manufacturing, agriculture, and finance. His political influence from several stints in government prior to his presidency and his ownership of an influential mass media outlet. Having knowledge of Poroshenko's past helps us understand the nuances of our interview today with Dinara. Dinara Habibulieva Can you tell me about your life on February 23rd? It was so hard day because we had an event in Kiev and some of our coordinators from our youth organization, the political party European Solidarity Youth Organization. And at the end of March, supposed to be the elections in Chasivyar, a small city in Donbass region. And our coordinator of our youth organization appointed by our party to be a candidate for the mayor at that city. We organized all the documents for him. I was with him, you know, and it was a lot of stuff to do to prepare our trip to Ivano-Frankivsk. That night of 23rd, I was on my way to Ivano-Frankivsk because we had an opening of the project in Ivano-Frankivsk. Can you imagine, like, preparing for the project, preparing the document for the mayor of this small city in Donbass region from our youth organization. And me and my colleague went to the Ivano-Frankivsk to open the project. We went to the railway station around 11 o'clock. And as you know, at the night, from 23 to 24 was invasion to Ukraine. Can you imagine, like... I was uh, on train and I, I had really strange feelings like what's happening on because at 5 o'clock everybody started to call me and the train stopped and nobody knows what the happening and everybody's just sleeping but I was awake because I had a lot of calls and uh, <laughs> it was so horrible because everybody started to call me because uh, not a lot of people knew that I will go to the opening of the project in another city. Therefore, everybody started to call me, but I cannot answer because my phone screen crashed and I cannot answer the telephone calls. Then I knew that uh, the war started and I just walked up my colleague to say, can I call from your phone? Because I don't know what's happening. I called to my colleague and she said, the war has started, Dinara, where are you? I said, I'm on the train. I don't know what's happening and where I am. And just train stopped and that's all. And in the morning, it was six o'clock or seven. I just went out from the train and I saw that people just hurry up. The alarm was on the air. I first heard the Syrian alarm in my life and I saw the smoke because the airport was attacked as well. 
And it was really a horrible picture that I saw really scared people and with the, some small bags, you know, and alarm and fog, really dark fog from the airport because it's not too far away from the railway station. And uh, yeah, that was my first... Uh, uh, first like, day of war? Yeah. At that point, you were on your way from... Kiev to Ivano-Frankivsk, or you were on your way back? I was in Kiev to prepare all the documents for the candidate of the mayor and for the project, and then went to Ivano-Frankivsk at the night. Did you stay there? Yes, because I called and everybody said that the railway station can be under attack as well, so therefore stay some days and just keep calm. But the alarms was in Ivano-Frankivsk every hour as well. And everybody asked to be in the bomb shelter. But I decided to, to work with my party in Ivano-Frankivsk. And at the first day of war, uh, the activists started to come to the office. Because our office, can you imagine, the bomb shelter under our office, the main bomb shelter of the city, under the office of my party, you know. <laughs> You're a member of the parliament of Kiev, is that correct? Yes, and I'm a member of Kiev City Council. And which party is it? European Solidarity. European Solidarity Party. Yeah, I need to explain you more. I'm a head of the youth organization of the political party. That's called Solidarno Molot. And our youth organization is so wide, and we have chapters in each region of the Ukraine. And of course, we are showing the social elevator for the youth. And for example, if election is coming, we have a quota for youth. And all over the Ukraine, our leaders became members of the local regional or city council or uh, district councils, you know, or something. And I was on the quote of youth in my party, and therefore I became the member of Kyiv city council. So you had been working with this mayor in the Donbass region? It was just announced election in the small city, because mayor died. And we decided to appoint the young candidate. What is his name? Arkady Petrosyan. He is the leader of our Donbass region chapter. With your Solidarity Youth group, you are volunteering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first day of war, as I told you, I was in the party office of the Ivan Frankivsk region and we started to organize by ourselves as a hub with the youth and with the party to do covers for the tanks and to cover some equipment at the war. We found food, found all what the soldiers needed the first days, you know. Everybody started to bring something from the home and put in our office and we divided all the groups, you know. And every day it was a lot of people, a lot of stuff to send. And every day we sent it by the train or by the bus or found the car to territorial defense forces. And, you know, it was so mess. And our international friends sent us humanitarian help and we divided it in the office and found buses and sent to different regions, to Mykolaiv, to Zaporizhia, to Donbass. And it was like one and a half week and then I went to Lviv, more near to the border, and my team as well. 
and we were on the border and we took the cars to the territorial defense forces, you know, pickups. For example, somebody sent us ambulances from Germany. Somebody called me like, hey, like, Nara, we have ambulance, can you help us? And I prepared documents for the supplies, for all the help. And I was on the border three weeks, and all time I was working, and my team was working, and it was so hard because like we had three hours sleep like, per day or something. Yeah, and then I went to Kiev, and we decided to organize the project, which called Youth in War, and we rent two buses and went to seven countries in Europe to tell about our work and what we are feeling and took the, some help from the countries because, as you know, the humanitarian help in Ukraine not so high now as at the first days or first weeks right. of the war and therefore you need to go by yourself and fundraise or find something or buy. And We were in uh, Poland, Germany... France, Luxembourg, Austria, Slovakia, and Poland again, and we went to Ukraine. It was uh, like two weeks trip, and we collect all these two buses with ammunition, uniforms for the soldiers, tactical summer shoes, a lot of equipment for them, like medicine for the hospitals, something we bought from the fundraised uh, money, something we took from our friends and our partners and it was full 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 cars are you finding it hard to raise money now yes yes it's too hard it's too hard because it's youth organizations and they can fundraise sometimes like from 200 euros to like 1500 3000 i mean but as you know for the army and ammunition and all the stuff, like all equipment, it's too expensive. And for example, we need tourniquets, a lot of medical tourniquets, and it costs 50 euros in Europe, but you need a thousand of them, you know? Yeah. And uniforms and shoes, they are so expensive. It's too difficult. You need to find some discount, you know, and it's, it's so complicated because we spend all our like money all free money for the army and we are as a youth and it's difficult we collect everything and send by post and sometimes we are going to meet with our guys on the front line now to give them what we managed to find and I just uh, back from another trip we went to the Poltava, the Parisian, Dnipro, Kharkiv to deliver supplies, the uniforms. I can send pictures. What about weapons? No, of course. I mean, <laughs> the volunteers cannot. It's too complicated. But, for example, we found and bought drones, which is expensive. One drone cost from 3,000 euros, you know. And we managed to buy walkie-talkies, for example. It's expensive as well. Weapons, not. But at our trip, we were with our guys and we met with members of the parliament, uh, members of councils. 
And one of the point of our conversation was that we need weapons, that it's all needed. The help to Ukraine should not stop. And of course, candidate status in the EU. And of course, the violation of our rights and atrocities done in occupied cities as Bucha, Irpinia, Mariupol should be on the court. You know, so it's so important. While you've mentioned parliament, does President Zelensky have the full support of parliament as he did, or are there factions? Of course, we are not now putting on the table internal issues on our politics. And of course, we supported everything which is for Ukraine and for our victory. That's important. But at the same time, the administration of Zelensky fully controlled the media, you know, and they are blocking the, the channels which criticize or are just asking something. For example, the Termi channel, Espresso channel, was blocked by the administration of Zelensky, and it's a violation of the rule of law and freedom of speech. And I think it's not right for our partners as well, because we are here for victory, and we are uh, putting all our efforts to just one goal. Uh, members of the parliament are excluded from some lists of delegations for United States or for another institutions from the office of president. It's not right, you know. And they're trying to block President Poroshenko to go somewhere. Zelensky blocked Poroshenko? Yes, maybe you heard about it, that they exclude Poroshenko's channels on TV. For those who don't know, that's the former president of Ukraine. Yeah. And for example, for Poroshenko to go somewhere, to have a speech somewhere, or if journalists want to ask interviews to Mr. Poroshenko, sometimes they are trying to send signals for them that you don't need to ask him, ask us. I mean, if you're saying about solidarity and if you're saying that we are here for unity, and at the same time, you're there blocking. It's not right. Are the Russians trying to get interviews from him, from Petrushenko? No, no, no. Poroshenko does not speak with any Russians and any Russian media. And when he was a president, even Russia today wants to ask him something, he said that I don't want to speak with the channel of the terror and channel of the murder. Therefore, no. Petrushenko no. is supporting Ukraine and the Ukrainian government 100%, it sounds like. Yeah, he is supporting, but I mean the rules, as I told you, not um, equal, you know? Right. For example, if if the rules are announced that we are united, and Mr. Poroshenko said a lot of times, I'm here for help, I'm here for unity, I'm here for struggle, and I'm here for the European future, but at the same time, the office of president trying to block all possible ways to speak. It's not right. 
This is Ukraine 242. I am Anne Levine reporting for Pacifica Network, Krena FM, and WOMR. Here again, our guest, Dinara Habibulieva, president of European Democracy Youth Network. Dinara brings news from the front, Donbass, and the political front. Dinara, you're an expert on Severodonetsk. Yeah. Can you tell me a little uh, bit about it? So hard. Severodonetsk is really hard for us now. Our soldiers are fighting so, so strong, but Russians are attacking so hard. We have the youth organization chapter in Severodonetsk, but they now evacuated because the Russians are attacking every day. They cannot work. When did your team leave? One month ago. A month ago. So that's been a long, terrible... Yeah, I mean, they are attacking so hard. The missiles, they are doing so much. And our soldiers are so brave. They're staying and they're fighting. Any idea how to get the people who are stuck in the Azot plant out? I think the international community should call the Russians to stop everything and to give green corridors for the civilians. Because, as you know, in Mariupol, they block the possibilities of the green corridor for the people. For example, one of our girls was kidnapped by Russians in Mariupol. She was our activist and she just kidnapped at the beginning of March. And we still don't know where she is. What's her name? Lydia. Have you heard anything back from people who've been kidnapped? The situation is they are sent to filter camps under the Russians and they are checking and you are not allowed to go. If you have, for example, any photos or tattoo or something with a Ukrainian flag or some symbol, you're just staying at the filtered camp and, uh, and we don't know the destiny of that people, you know. I don't know the destiny of thousands of people. It's too dangerous. It's so dangerous. I they understand. can just kill you. If you're saying Slavo Ukraine, they're just killing you, and that's all. And we don't know what's happening now on the occupied villages and territories. But you saw the pictures of Bucha. Maybe at some villages, the same situation. But we cannot see it because there are Russian troops there and because we are not there. But I think all the world saw the real face of Russia when our territorial defense forces just entered Bucha. I mean, I know a lot of people from the army who entered Bucha first when the Russians left. And what did they and say about it? I mean, it was so horrible and nobody expected such atrocities. It was like um, a horror. Nobody can imagine it's too complicated. And when we saw these photos, I cried two nights. I cannot stop to cry because, for example, one girl from our organization was raped well by Russians and she died somewhere in home mm. shelter. Yes. And one guy from our organization as well, he was in Kherson city, died as well. Yes. Can you imagine our small youth organization under that situation i don't want to feel that at this such young age you know yes that somebody from our organization died because of the war or somebody just left their house because of the war 
Is there anything that you want to say that we didn't discuss? Yeah, I just, at the same time, I'm proud to be part of the organization which is so active and our guys on the front line, our girls are volunteering and not giving up. There are a lot of uh, villages which were totally destroyed and people smiled. (laughs) You know what, that situation smiled, too difficult, but they are incredible. They just believe to be free and independent. It's the most important thing that they are so brave. Well, I thank you so much for taking this time in the midst of so many things you have going on. I really appreciate it, Dinara. Thank you for discussing with me all. (laughs) Be safe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to Ukraine 242. Today's program was edited and produced by Ursula Rudenberg for Pacifica Network, WOMR, and Crana FM. Michael Levine is the recording engineer. This interview was arranged by Crana FM, Roman Davidov. I am Anne Levine, the producer, creator, and host of Ukraine242.com. Would you like to help the people of Ukraine? Send them a voice message of support and encouragement. The number is 510-883-3115. We will translate it into Ukrainian, and it will be broadcast in 24 cities throughout Ukraine. That's 510-883-3115. Enjoy listening to Vesna from Ukraine's most popular band, Daka Braka. Daka Braka, meaning give and take, are self-branded as ethno-punk and are currently touring the United States. Marco, their leader, will be our guest on Ukraine242.com in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening. <laughs>